Children, pre-K four through third grade, you can head to the kids' table. If you are older than that, we have listening guides and activity sheets in the foyer on clipboards that you can get and you can do uh, where you sit. Uh, if you need the cry room, somebody gets fussy, um, you know, your husband, whatever, and you need to take him to the cry room, you can, the TV's back there, uh, you can still, or if you have children that get fussy, y'all can do that as well. Cry room's back there in the foyer, has a TV on that, uh, with the service, it's, it's not cartoons, um, you can keep up and, uh, if, if you need that room. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Kings chapter 17, verses 7 through 20. As Etta said in her prayer, this is a difficult passage. It's, it's not a happy passage. There's no way to make it a happy passage. No way to make it a, a uplifting. And uh, it's just, it's doom and despair, gloom and despair, and agony on them and maybe us. That's the lesson we have to learn from it. But first, uh, a celebration this week. I learned yesterday that uh, Cary Association has gotten everything they need, money, materials, time, contractors, to build the disaster relief barn, warehouse, metal building. It's going to look like our bus barn, basically, only bigger, out here on the southwest corner of our property. Uh, some of y'all will remember that we voted on that last summer in a business meeting to allow them to do that. Uh, that is now actually in the works. You, you won't look out there and see anything right now. I just, you know, y'all all know what in the works means when we're talking about building or remodeling. It means that people are talking about it finally. But it is in the works, so we get to take part in that, be a blessing not just to our association, but to... Well, like right now, it would be uh, Eastern Kentucky and uh, the, uh, the floods that they've had. Was it Eastern Kentucky, right? I think it was. Uh, the flooding that they've had. We've got disaster relief teams up there right now from our area. And uh, one of the things that we will be able to take part in that by storing the equipment. Plus, of course, any of you want to be a part of that disaster relief. They have trainings every few months, uh, usually at Trinity and Lake Charles. And you can get trained on mud out and chainsaw and, and cooking and child care. Well, I don't know if they do child care around here. But anyway, all the different parts of disaster relief. If that's something, a ministry you'd like to be a part of, talk to me. I can... I can hook you up on that. But anyway, that is going, so that's exciting that uh, that's finally after over a year of discussion, nearly a year and a half now probably, that's going to be moving forward. Our message this morning is from sin to rejection. We're, we're talking about where Israel started and where they ended up. Remember, we're talking about the northern kingdom. It's coming for the southern kingdom of Judah as well. We're talking about the northern kingdom right now. But first, let's uh, remind ourselves of our memory verse. Lord God of Israel. Uh, whew, mercy. Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below who keeps the gracious covenant with your people, servants, who walk before you with all their heart. 1 Kings 8.23. Last week I said 2 Kings. I got it right. I went back and watched, actually, the video. This week I got that right, but servants, not people. 
right? Who keep the, your, yeah, yeah, okay. I have never, I'm telling you all, I have never struggled with memorizing a verse like I have this one. The, the, the Amos verse and the Micah verses for me are much easier. I'm glad we're moving to something that's going to flow a little better in my head. This one just has not flowed, start to say flown, that's a different, uh, flowed the way I want it to. 2 Kings 17. We come to the king Hosea. He is the last king of Israel. He is evil, but just a little less evil. Uh, verse, let's see, what is it? 2 of chapter 17. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, but not like the kings of Israel who preceded him. That is, that's not great for your tombstone. <laughs> Whew, he is awful. I mean, not as awful as the, the people that died right before him, but he is awful. You know? But that's, that was his, his legacy. He was evil, but not as evil. And at this point in time, we are right around 722 B.C., Israel, the northern kingdom, is utterly destroyed. And, and, and Assyria, the, the conquering kingdom, they're good at this. They know how to wipe out a country. They don't just come in, break down the walls, kill a few people, look around and say, is that enough? All right, let's go home. They deport them, but they don't just deport people from Israel, from Samaria, that's their focus, the, the capital city. They don't just deport them, then they move people from other countries, including Assyria and other countries that they had conquered around them. They move them in. So they take groups out and spread them all over their country, and they take groups from their country and other places and put them in. They are making sure Israel, the ten tribes of, of Israel that make up the northern kingdom, never exist again. And if you are in any way tuned in to some of the corners of YouTube and that sort of thing, you, you've heard of the lost tribes of Israel, the ten tribes. It's people that say, oh, we're descendants of them. This is where we get Samaritans. This is why Jews in what becomes the only Israel, but Judah, it's, it's Israel once they come back out of exile in Babylon. We'll get there. Don't worry about that. Uh, the, the, the Israel of Jesus' day are so against Samaritans is because Samaritans are the, the partial Jews, bloodline anyway, who were mixed in with all of that northern kingdom. The, the Assyrians that came in and whatever uh, uh, other country came in, when they got together and they intermingled, intermarried, Samaritans is what was left, and that's why they don't like them. They're not pure. That's at least their idea of it. So Israel is dismembered, it, it, the, and the, the parts... In, in England, they or in, in Europe, they like to do this in the 14-1500s. When, when they conquered somebody, they like to uh, take the leader and, and pull him apart, uh, drawn and quartered is what they called it, and they would take the different parts and nail, them on nail the parts on different castles all over the country. That's basically what they have done here with this large group of people. So have I, have I convinced you that Israel is no more? This is not a matter of they got beat up a little bit. They are 
uh, annihilated, disintegrated, disappeared. Told you it was an uplifting message. And if you go back through chapter 15, or from chapter 15 on, you see that the kings fall in rapid succession to assassination just over and over and over. The kingdom is incredibly unstable, which is why it falls to Assyria, one of the reasons. The only stability that we read from 15 through 17 in Israel is God and his word. The warnings never stop. The prophets never stop speaking to them. God is consistent. God is stable as the country uh, plummets headlong into non-existence. This week, Malcolm Yarnell, who's a professor at Southwestern, um, I jokingly say he's my favorite professor I never had. I didn't have him when I was at Southwestern. I wish I had, but he was always in Fort Worth, and I took most of my classes in Houston. He posted, I guess he was probably getting prepared for uh, his church's Sunday school lesson this week. I don't know. But he posted on Facebook a couple of days ago this quote, which should be the next slide. Pat, there we go. The shock of the destruction of Israel in 722 B.C. and ultimately of Judah in 587 B.C. helped the people of God realize in providence what the prophets long warned them in word. God is holy. Don't presume upon him for your communities or leaders' welfare. We must all give an account. Well, that was a great way to begin our message because over and over and over, Israel and Judah thought simply because they were God's nation that they didn't have to follow the rules that God had set up. Oh, he'll forgive us. Oh, he, we, he, won't, he won't mess with us. We're God's people. We are the, 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 the nation that he has created so certainly he's not going to punish us the way he keeps telling us over and over and over he's going to punish us. Certainly he's not going to do what he promised at the founding of our nation if we disobeyed. Certainly he's not going to do that. They presumed upon God, and they presumed incorrectly. Because, as Dr. Yarnell says, we must all give an account. 2 Kings 17, 7-20 is a theological summary of the fall of Israel. Read with me. This disaster happened because the people of Israel sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt from the power of the Pharaoh king of Egypt, and because they worshipped other gods. They lived according to the customs of the nations that the Lord had dispossessed before the Israelites and according to what the kings of Israel did. The Israelites secretly did things against the Lord their God that were not right. They built high places in all their towns from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves sacred pillars and Asherah poles on every high hill and under every green tree. They burned incense there on all the high places just like the nations that the Lord had driven out before them had done. They did evil things, angering the Lord. They served idols, although the Lord had told them, you must not do this. Still, the Lord warned Israel and Judah through every prophet and every seer, saying, 
Turn from your evil ways and keep my commands and statutes according to the whole law I commanded your ancestors and sent to you through my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen. That could be on the tombstone of every dead church. But they would not listen. Instead, they became obstinate like their ancestors who did not believe the Lord their God. They rejected his statutes and his covenant he made with their ancestors and the warnings he had given them. They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves, following the surrounding nations the Lord had commanded them not to imitate. They abandoned all the commands of the Lord their God. They made cast images for themselves, two calves and an Asherah pole. They bowed in worship to all the stars in the sky and served Baal. They sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire and practiced divination and interpreted omens. They devoted themselves to do what was evil in the Lord's sight and angered him. Therefore, God was, the Lord was very angry with Israel, and he removed them from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah remained. Even Judah did not keep the commands of the Lord their God, but lived according to the customs Israel had practiced. So the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, punished them, and handed them over to plunderers until he had banished them from his presence. Well, as I said, there's not much positive spin to put on this passage. So we're just going to look at the passage as it is presented. Now, this, this whole section is about what Israel did. That's, that's what it's looking at. As we read the prophets, and we're going to see this a lot with uh, Amos, Jonah, um, who else are uh, Micah, and I'm leaving one out that we're looking at, Hosea. Uh, in the next section, uh, the next 13 weeks, and that'll start in a couple of weeks, we're going to see the, what the prophets said to the people. But what the prophets focused on, what they spoke with, was the specificity of the day-to-day. So the prophets are looking at the people that they're preaching to once a week or however often God tells them to speak and says, look, this is what you're doing. You are, you're, you're, you're lying, you're slandering, you're, you're uh, using unjust uh, uh, weights and measures, you are oppressing the poor, you're, you're, you're doing all of these things. And he talks, the prophets are going to talk about some individual day-to-day sins. They're also going to talk about the broader issue of idol worship and following false gods. But they are particularly looking at these specific day-to-day things and how they affect their worship, their relationship with the Lord. Our author here in Kings is talking about the broader sin of rejection. Now, he talks about specific things, too. If you read Kings, it'll talk about the things they do. And, and we're going to look at what he brings out here in this passage, those specific sins. But everything he brings out here points to primarily the fact that those specific sins led to a rejection of God. Let that be our lesson this morning. You may think that your little sin or whatever it is, your specific sin, is just a struggle that you have and and not anything you need to really worry about. You may not even consider it a struggle this morning. You kind of like it. The issue is it is our sins that compile and compound and lead us to the point of outright rejection of the Lord. 
putting some other idol in God's place, worshiping things that aren't what we should be worshiping as followers of Jesus. Oh, and those could be any number of things. We could talk about a long list this morning, and I'll mention some as we move through. But that is our concern, that our lives lead us to reject the Lord. Our, end of, our daily lives lead us to a life of rejection. The day-to-day sins that the prophets talk about that we struggle with on a day-to-day basis are both a slippery slope and an end result. The individual sins build and build and build to the point that we completely reject God, and then the result of the rejection of God is day-to-day sins that continue to build. We continue to make it worse. That, that is exactly what we see with Israel in the north, and then 150, uh, 200 years later, uh, the southern kingdom uh, of Judah. So what did they do? Well, the author kind of points out some broad topics and then specifies some things. I don't know, let me say this up front, I don't know that he intended the paragraphs to be divided the way we have them divided. Uh, you may use a verse-by-verse Bible that doesn't show paragraphs. We're using educated guesses at this point to see how he is breaking it up. So that's how we're going to look at it this morning is some educated guesses about how he's breaking it up. The first thing that Israel did broadly was they followed the culture. Verses 7 through 13 show us that. They followed the culture. What, what does it happen? Well, the first, or what happens? The first verse, verse 7 It's happened because the people of Israel sinned against the Lord who brought them out of Egypt. They lived, verse 8, according to the customs of the nations that the Lord had dispossessed before the Israelites. So as soon as they get in, and we see it, if you go back and you read Joshua and Judges, you see as soon as they get in and they don't do what they were told to do, and what what were they told to do? Wipe everybody out. Don't stop. The, the, the judgment of the Lord had come on those nations that were in the promised land for their sinfulness, and his method of judgment was Israel. You, they were the sword that was going to exact justice and judgment on those nations. So it's not God just saying, I like you better than those people, so go kill them so you can have their land. It was holy war. It was God doing something through the people, directly commanded to do it. And they go in, and they basically kill what was not easy, but in the spots they really wanted, and they kind of left the fringes. You can, again, read all about it in Joshua, uh, Judges. The, the same author wrote from Joshua to at least Second Kings and maybe First and Second Chronicles. So when they didn't do what they were supposed to to begin with, when they started off in disobedience, they then get into the land and they look around and go, well, they've got some pretty good ideas about how they do things. And of course, the worst thing that they looked at was the way they handled religion. Well, they've got gods that do this and do that. They have gods that let you do this and do that. Well, I like that better. 
I like the gods that let me have whatever on the side. I like the gods that let me lie and cheat and slander. I like the, I like the gods that, uh, you know, I can snap my fingers and, and oh, uh, do this thing and suddenly they have to do what I tell them to. I, I like that kind of God. I'm not real crazy about the God that I have to depend on who is sovereign over me, who gets to make the choices and I just have to obey. That ain't my favorite. So I'm going to go follow the culture. And that's what they did. They, they followed their customs, but... Again, he, he's, while our author gets a little specific, he, he says they built high places in all their towns from watchtower to fortified city. They, they spoke words. Some translations say the Israelites spoke words in verse 9. Others said they did, secretly did things. But, but what they're doing is they're, they have the sins that, that nobody knows about, but God does. They're secret sins. They do these things, but, but look, they're building high places from watchtower to fortified city. What that means is it doesn't matter how, how big the community was. A, a watchtower was just that. It, it was a watchtower, and maybe it had a, a, a small group of soldiers that, that manned the watchtower. And no, no matter how, you know, four or five people, they built a high place. Samaria, the capital city, they built high places. The sin was spread evenly throughout the country. But it's still talking about what? What they worship. Who they worship. Verse 10, they set up sacred pillars, Asherah poles on every high hill and every, under, uh, under every green tree. What they worship. So our author is getting specific about some things, but he's telling them everything you did was about who you truly worship. If your sin is lying, well, you worship the devil who's father of lies. Whew. Well, you have set up that idol and said, I'm going to do this, I don't care. Well, the father of lies is Satan, not God. So if your struggle is the truth, it's because you have set up a high place to the father of lies in your life and worship him by your actions. They followed the culture. They burned incense there on all the high places. He just goes on and on about their, their, their form of worship. They did evil things angering the Lord. Really broad statement. He could have talked about a lot of evil things. The prophets do. Amos is going to get into it and get after the... It was a time of wealth and prosperity in the country. And Amos is going to get after them for... Uh, he, he uses phrases like, you, 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 you rich people make beds out of the coats that you extorted from poor people. He, he lets them have it on how they are treating people in the country. He, 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 but our author doesn't talk about all that. They did evil things, angering the Lord. Broad blanket statement. Verse 13, they served idols. We're right back to worship. The evil things that they did showed who they worshiped. The evil things that they did led them to worship something other than God. And they did this, verse 
12, although the Lord had told them, you must not do this. The best example of what we tend to do in church and Bible studies is, I, I, I can't remember who said this, who I heard it from. I think it was Robbie Gallaty, so I'll give him credit. But if, if you as a parent tell your child, go clean your room, you expect that child to go to his or her room and clean it. And both we and the child know what we mean. You walk into the room, you know what's not where it's supposed to be, you, you know what's trash and what isn't, you, you know the toys don't go there, and you know those clothes are dirty and those clothes are clean, though they're in the same place. You know that. What you don't expect the child to do is go say, that is a great command, mother. That is a great command, father. I'm going to get some of my friends, and we're going to go form a group. And we're going to talk about your command to clean my room. And see exactly what you meant by that. Clean. There are so many different definitions of clean. Do you mean straighten? Did you mean we were supposed to use some sort of cleanser or detergent? Do we have to, to shampoo the carpet, or are we only vacuuming? Or are we not vacuuming today because that's something that you want us to do in the future? Maybe we do that on the weekends. Clean my room. Is it my room, really? I, you tell me all the time, this is your house. What do you mean by my room? Is it only my room when I'm in the room? Is it only my room? Is it ever really my room? Really, is anything ours, mother, father? Room. What is the room? I believe the earth is my room. Do I have to clean the whole earth, mother? Father? That's what we do in our Bible studies. We try to break down what God said. Look what he says. I said, you must not do this. What did he mean by must not? Hmm. What did he mean by this? And so we justify our sins. Well, I have to lie because he's doing these things I need to stop. I need to put a stop to. I have to slander because somebody's got to bring him down a notch. I have to, I have to uh, lie because if I don't, the government's going to get more of my money. I have to cheat on this. I have to cut this corner at work. I, I have to be a jerk because they cut me off. I, I have to flip them off because they got in front of me. I have to do all. I have to. I have to. You must not do this. Still, verse 13, the Lord warned Israel and Judah through every prophet and every seer. Still, as they followed the culture, as they got in their Bible study groups and they discussed what he meant by you must not do this, he continued to send people to tell them, hey, you must not do this. No, 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 don't, don't form a Bible study to discuss it. Stop doing it. Turn from your evil ways and keep my commands and statutes according to the whole law commanded your ancestors and sent to you through my servants, the prophets. You must not do it. Listen to the teachers I sent you. Two commands. Two pretty simple commands. And yet they followed the culture. Second, they disobeyed God's commands. Well, duh. 
I mean, we, we've started with that. They, they didn't drive out and kill everybody they were supposed to. And here we are. They end up worshiping idols and being annihilated because they disobeyed God's commands. Again, our author is not talking about those specifics. He's telling them, this is what you did. They would not listen, verse 14. Instead, they became obstinate like their ancestors who did not believe the Lord their God. There is so much in that verse. They wouldn't listen, and when they wouldn't listen, they became obstinate. And when they became obstinate, they were just doing what their ancestors did, who did not, not just obey the Lord. That was an awkward sentence. Their ancestors were not just disobedient, they were disbelievers. So they are following not some people who struggle I'm going to follow the Lord, and I'm going to fail at it, but, but you know what? I'm going to get up the next day. His mercies are new every morning. I'm going to get up the next day, and I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to follow him today. And let's all do that together. Let's be better today than we were yesterday. No, instead, when God told them what to do and they ignored it, they said, Hey, look at great-great-grandpa over there. I like what he did. You know he didn't believe in God at all, right? He was not a follower of the Lord. Uh, yeah, but I like what he's doing better. I like his way of life better than what God's telling me to do. And they disobeyed God's commands. They rejected his statutes and his covenant he had made with their ancestors and the warnings he had given them, you know, through the prophets, through their teachers. His covenant. Let me remind you of God's covenant. Let me remind you of what he did with Moses, or rather with Abraham, when he made his covenant. He put Abraham to sleep. Not like your dog and your cat. I'm talking about he, he made him go to sleep. And in his sleep state, Abraham saw a vision of this smoking pot that, res, that represented God. Now before that, he had gotten a, a bull and a, a, a goat and a Sheep and a dove? Eh, double check me on what he got. He got a few animals. He split the big ones, and he just, I think he just killed the dove and laid it there. And at the time, when you, when you uh, created a treaty with somebody, that was, was common to take an animal, animal, kill it, split it in half, and both of you walk between that animal. And that, if you want your historical word of the day, suzerain treaty. That was the suzerain treaty, and that means we've both done this. We have created a pact between you and me. Well, the, the four animals, three or four animals, tells us it was a much greater price to pay. And in his sleep state, Abraham saw God go between those animals. If you go back and read, you'll find Abraham did not. Whose covenant was this? This was God's covenant. God knew they were going to break the covenant. God knew they were going to sin. His covenant was perfect. And so he signed the paperwork, for lack of a better term, and said, I am going to keep my covenant no matter what. You are going to fail. You're going to break it. We follow Abraham's life. We see him breaking it fairly regularly. 
but God is going to keep it. Go back to the verse. They rejected his statutes and his covenant. Notice it doesn't say they broke the covenant. Now in other places it will. It'll use that sort of language. But here it says they rejected it. From sin to rejection. They weren't just messing up, making mistakes, being human, sinning. They daily, regularly rejected God. God, I don't care about your covenant. I don't care about your promise to me. I don't care that we are your people. I'm going to follow the unbelievers in my life, my ancestors, and in my culture. I'm going to disobey your commands and reject you completely. They rejected the covenant and they, he, they rejected the warnings. They followed, and here we get back to worship again. They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. <whistles> Seven churches in Revelation, going to be worthless if you don't obey. Going to be worthless if you don't follow my covenant. They became worthless. Following the surrounding nations, there's the culture. The Lord had commanded them not to imitate. There they disobeyed commands. Three, they chose evil over good. Verses 16 through 17. In case you haven't gotten it yet, verse 16, they abandoned all the commands of the Lord Lord their God. So we've gotten the disobedience down, right? They abandoned the commands. They made cast images for themselves. So now they're not just worshiping idols or, or, or what's around them, they, we already know they've set up high places and Asherah poles, and now they're, they're forming, they're crafting. Let's go back to Aaron and the golden calf. They are creating gods for themselves to worship. They bowed in worship to the stars in the sky, and they served Baal. Romans tells us that they gave up the worship of the creator for the worship of the created. And that's what we see right here. They look around and say, isn't this magnificent? Well, let's worship it. Not the one who made it. It doesn't make sense, but that is our materialistic, evolutionary-based society in which we live. And the culture that says what is impressive is how all this could be from some random happenstance over billions of years. Instead of imagine the God who could have imagined this and then, boom, created it. Worship him. They didn't. They began to look around and worship the created instead of the creator. And when you do that, when you look at the created and you make it God, let's just think about some things that happen in nature. Okay? Uh, I've always loved nature shows. I was always bored when they talk about rocks and stuff. I wanted African animals. I wanted the lions and the jaguars and the cheetahs. And I wanted the hunting. I wanted the, the takedown of the antelope, the gazelle, the, the water boat. I wanted to see all that stuff. And what I have learned over the years, and now, you know, they're always nice. And, you know, um, well, Merlin Olson, 
Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Yeah, me and, me and older, y'all know what I'm talking about. Younger, y'all are like, what? what? Well, you just don't know what's good. And Marty Stalfer's Wild America. Y'all, come on, nod or something. Let me know you're, okay, not, not off, nod. They were a little nicer. They'd, they'd show the, the cloud of dust when the baby gazelle got captured by the cheater. <laughs> dust and, okay, let's cut to this. And, oh, he got away. Or, oh, mama's sad. But look, she has another baby a little while long. You know, they, they don't, well, you know, YouTube, they show it all now. All right. What do lions, I'm going to use them, do to the little baby boy lions that they find? They don't like competition. They don't like competition for having uh, more kids later on. So they kill them, right? It's just the way it is. That's nature. And, and, and it, it happens all over. I mean, fish will eat their own babies. We have guppies in an aquarium at the house. You've got to separate them. Otherwise, you know, the, the, the mama guppy has baby guppies and goes, ooh, food. Nope, nope, nope. Hmm? Oh, yeah. So... If that's what we worship, what do we learn from what we worship? I think this is a progression here. They worship the created order. They see what happens in creation, in nature. And so, verse 17, they sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire. It would only make sense, right? If nature is what you worship, then you're going to do what nature does. And in this case... You sacrifice your kids when you need to, if it makes sense. And for the lion, it makes sense to always be the head of the pride. And for uh, pagan religions, it makes sense to sacrifice your kid to the God who's going to make it rain. They chose evil over good. They practiced divination, interpreted omens. They devoted themselves to do what was evil in the Lord's sight and angered him. And, oh, and angered him. <laughs> Imagine the understatement uh, emotion that you, they, they felt when, because remember he's writing this in the exile, in the Babylonian exile. This is, this is in, after Judah is uh, destroyed and exiled in 586 B.C. So this is 550. So we're... Mm, what are we, uh, nearly 200 years later that he is writing this after Israel falls, and he says, and it angered God. Yeah, thanks, guy. We kind of figured that with the whole Israel doesn't exist anymore, and we've been in exile ourselves for 50 or 30 years or something like that. I think we could figure out it angered God, but it did. It angered him. When we choose evil over good, it angers God. Because we are choosing to worship something other than him. When we set up our way of doing things, I have to do this because this. I have to be evil because of this. I cannot choose good because it doesn't get whatever I think we need as a result. We are setting up an idol, a high place. We are crafting an image of who we think God should be in our lives instead of following the God at, that, who has uh, uh, presented himself to us as. Wow, that didn't make sense. Let me try that again. We have chosen a God that looks like what we want instead of the God that says, this is who I am. 
Because if we get a God that we want, that lets us do whatever we want to do, we get to then, well, I don't like that God anymore. Let's massage it a little bit, manipulate it here a little bit, and we can change the God. But if we're following a God that doesn't change, who has to change? Me. You've gotten away from me, boy. Well, you changed. That is not correct. That is not what happened. I moved. God didn't. And lastly, After following the culture, after disobeying God's commands, after choosing evil over good, they created the wrong disciples. I've told you before, Israel was supposed to be, both countries, Israel was supposed to be a missionary people. It was always their reason for existence to make people who followed God. To go out and transform the culture, not uh, take them over. Once they moved into the promised land... Their um, colonizing, their, their warlike ways were over, uh, on, except on the very rare occasion they were told to uh, defend themselves against Edom or Moab or somebody else. And God said, and this is the judgment against them. That was not their purpose. Their purpose wasn't to expand their land to take over. Their purpose was to expand the kingdom, God's kingdom. Not a kingdom on earth, but God's kingdom. And turns out they actually did make the disciples. They just made the wrong kind. We got a hint of it when it said that the people looked back at their unbelieving ancestors and followed what they did. Now we get to see it full on. It says, therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel, like he just said. And they did devoted themselves Verse 17, they devoted themselves to do what was evil in the Lord's sight and angered him. Verse 18, therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel, and he removed them from his presence. I told you they were dismembered, they were disintegrated, they were removed from God's presence. Only the tribe of Judah remained, but even Judah did not keep the commands of the Lord their God, but lived according to the customs Israel had practiced. Now, if we go back just a couple of chapters, we remember that Jehoash, king of of Judah, was the grandson, let me see if I remember it right, of a daughter of Ahab, okay? So Ahab was northern kingdom, Israel, awful king. Country was big and strong. They didn't follow God, though. And his daughter went down and married one of the kings in Judah, and now we've got Israel in Judah by Uh, by leadership and Judah lived according to the customs Israel had practiced Israel made disciples all right believers we will make the kind of disciples we are church we will make the kind of disciples that we are if we are a divisive backbiting disunified, sinful church. If we focus on the wrong things, we don't focus on God's word. If we will make more disciples that do that very thing, that that's the way they think church should be. If we create disciples that love God's word and follow God's word and, and fail, yeah, 
make mistakes. Sometimes sins are mistakes. Sometimes they are just blatant disobedience. We will do all of those things as believers, but we must make disciples that respond to that hear the message of the prophets and God's word, and change as they are commanded to, instead of saying, stiff-necked and proudly, no, this is what I want to do, so this is what I'm going to do, and I don't care about what God's word says. We will create disciples, the wrong kind of disciples, just like Israel did. He doesn't even mention, doesn't say that Judah looks like the rest of the culture. At this point, that doesn't even matter, at least as far as Judah is concerned. They learned from Israel. He's talking about Israel's responsibility to make disciples. And they failed at it. Verse 20, So the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel. We get, for for this point in scripture this is foreshadowing that Judah is going to fall to he says the Lord rejected all of them northern kingdom southern kingdom all of Israel because they all did what was evil he punished them and he handed them over to plunderers until he had banished them from his presence remember I said God was the only one that went through the animals and made the covenant The covenant was he would never completely reject his people. The covenant was there would always be an heir of David. Once he made the covenant with David, there would always be a descendant of David on the throne. And God had no intention of breaking his covenant. We may reject the covenant. covenant. They may reject the covenant, but he will not reject the covenant. And so, even Israel disintegrates, Judah is destroyed and in exile for the most part, keeps that seed. That's the word he uses throughout scripture, this seed. He keeps that seed alive. And it takes about four, uh, well, from exile to Jesus, 586 years for that seed to lie dormant And then he brings the son of David out. It doesn't look like what we thought. It didn't look like they were expecting. This was not the Messiah they wanted. Not the Messiah they expected. But he brought the means of grace. The means of salvation. The means of repentance. The means to make disciples. And the king who sits on the throne is the servant who died on the cross. It blew their mind. They knew all about Isaiah. They knew about the suffering servant. They had all the prophecies. And yet they still went, what? And many rejected him. Many reject him today. And the reason we reject him is because we have the God we want. And the God we want is me. The God I want is myself. I want to be able to adjust the God as I need him or her adjusted. And so we reject the God that says, this is the only way. He will require things of me. 
He'll require me to stop doing that, to start doing this, to, to zip my lip, to quit sending the notes, to, to do this. He will require me to, to talk to this person, to love this other person, to evangelize them, to give money to this. He will require me to do things that I don't want to do because I have a God who lets me keep my money and lets me be a bully and lets me do these things and sin in this way and drink that and smoke that. My God lets me do all those things so that's what I want to do. I have my idols. I don't need God. And so we reject them. We reject Him. But this morning, we can create the right disciple. See, you're not a disciple unless you have followed the discipler, followed the teacher. The teacher, the one who came to disciple, was Jesus. And he did. For three years, he taught us. And we have his words in the gospel. We have what he said. We, we have the things we have to obey. He made it clear. It's, it's not like, well, now what did, he, what did he mean by adultery in your heart? What did he mean by if you hate your brother, you've already committed murder? You know, we don't really have to talk about that. We do. And we had to remind ourselves, but we don't have to think long and hard about what it means to not slander. We just have to obey. That's all. But you're not going to. You're certainly not going to if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. See, you don't have the power. You're not going to fix you. Your idols aren't going to fix you because, remember, you know what? You created them. You built the idols. You crafted the image, whatever that image is. So that image is only going to do what you're able to do. The only, it can only have the power you give it. And you don't have that much. But God, but God has sent his message. God has sent his son to die on the cross for your sins, to make you a disciple, to follow him, to have an eternity with him, to be delivered from your sin, be delivered from your idol worship, be delivered from the chains that strangle you and so easily distract you and slow you down, the, the bondage that you're in to sin. I'm not in bondage to sin. Yes, you are. And it doesn't matter what the sin is. You're in bondage to it. Some of you know it better. Some of you know I'm in bondage to alcohol, to drugs, to whatever. Some of you think you've got it under control, but you don't. Jesus is better. Jesus is the freer of people. And when you become his disciple, when you become the right kind of disciple, you defeat all of that because your king is no longer you, but the God who made you. This morning, you can accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's a, it, there's an understanding that has to be uh, come to with, between you and him. First, Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. You, we know you're a sinner. You know you're a sinner. You know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. So we got that covered. That's not a, an issue. What we need to realize is we can't do anything about that sin on our own. Remember, your God can't fix it for you. You can sacrifice all you want to to your God, but you made the God. So that's not going to fix it for you. Is the God you? Well, you haven't been so great at fixing your sin up to now. What makes you think it's going to get easier? 
And those wages, what you've deserved because of that sin, is death. Not just physical death, but eternal separation from God. But there's a gift that God gives, the the promise of the covenant, the the suffering servant that's coming, Emmanuel, God with us, all the root of Jesse, the the coming king, all that that was promised, the the new covenant Jeremiah is going to talk about came in the form of that baby, lived for 30 years, then taught for three more, and at the end of those three years gave himself on the cross so that we could have eternal life. So we could have forgiveness of our sins. We could have freedom from our sins in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's where we place our faith. We become then the right kind of disciple because if you're, no matter what you think, you're discipling somebody. Right now, last night, yesterday, day before, you're discipling somebody by your actions. Somebody's looking at you and going, this is what I need to do. What are you discipling? Are you making the wrong kind of disciple? Or are you telling them about Jesus? You may need to be the one to come and say, I want to know about Jesus. I want to trust him as my Savior. This morning, you will have that opportunity to take a next step. You will be able to come forward and trust Jesus as your Savior. Accept salvation through faith in him. I'd love to talk to you about that. I'll be down here to talk to you. Chelsea will be down here. We'll have a couple of deacons in the back that would love to talk to you about that. That might be what you're doing. Maybe you need to be baptized, follow in obedience in baptism. Uh, the, the, the first obedience, I've trusted Jesus as my Savior, but I want to be baptized. Maybe you need to conform your life to Christ or submit to God's plan and purpose. You've, you, you're a disciple maker. You're just the wrong kind, and you know it. And it's because you're a believer, but you have let life control you. You have let sin control you. Maybe you want to join our church. You want to come down, let me know that so we can tell it to the church and say, hey, this person, this couple, this family wants to be a part of our fellowship. We have a discovery class that we want to take you through so you can learn a little bit more about our church. But you want to announce it today, this is the fellowship I want to be a part of. Whatever your decision is this morning, you'll have an opportunity to share it with us, either by coming forward, you can fill out a connection card and drop that in the offering box, you can go online, send us an email, message us on Facebook or YouTube. we we got lots of ways to communicate with you, but let us know what God is doing in your heart and how we can pray for you and how we can come alongside you to see you be a stronger disciple of Jesus and the right kind of discipler of people. This morning... We need to go from rejection to salvation. We need to go from rejection to obedience. We need to go from rejection to submission. And this is your opportunity to do that. Pray with me. Father, thank you that you call us to obedience, that you call us to salvation, that no matter how many times we have rejected you, no matter how long we have rejected you, if we feel the tug of the Holy Spirit on our hearts right now, it is not too late. We are never too far gone if you are drawing us to yourself. And I pray this morning for those who are listening. First, for those who have never trusted Jesus as Savior, the day is the day. If they don't quite understand it, Lord, I pray that they will ask someone anyone. How do I do that again? And they follow Jesus, accepting salvation through him. 
If there's some other form of obedience that they need to take a step of this morning, we pray that they would. But that, God, you would work on hearts. You're the author of all this. Only you can change hearts. It's not going to be my words. It's only going to be you. And I pray that you would move in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we sing this morning, I'll be here, Chelsea over here. You may want to just come to the front and pray. Whatever your decision is, whatever you need to do, do it. Don't look around and see if somebody else is doing it, because they're probably not. They're probably looking around to see if somebody else is going to do it too. So you just do it. You just be obedient this morning and follow the Lord as, as he leads as we stand and sing and he works on our hearts.